Greetings, friends! Welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we take the movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic, alien magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my friend, co-host, and guy who would definitely get on a spaceship and abandon his fatherly duties. Uh, not Alex Dandino. I don't know who you're talking about, but... Oh, that's not a heroic choice for the end of your mega blockbuster, your family <laughs> Neither here nor there. Uh, the most guys, before ever. <laughs> you're telling on yourself, Stephen. You're telling on yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, before today's very thrilling episode, a little bit of business. People, it's official. We're on Patreon. That's right. Patreon.com slash Film Alchemist Pod. The best way to help us grow the show. The best way to show some support to the show. The best way to get even more of what you want out of the show. You get a vote on our Patreon exclusive episodes every month. It's in our ever-growing library. We got many series. We got commentaries. You can even have us record a double feature specifically programmed by you. So if you would be so kind, if you're able, patreon.com slash Pod, the very best way to help support the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. The YouTube is Philmalchemist. Go subscribe over there. You can email us, philmalchemistpod at gmail.com. Make sure you're leaving those five-star ratings and reviews. So you can help us defeat those algorithmic government men that are trying to keep us from the truth. Right? Five stars everywhere you find us. Why do you like us? That helps us out. Uh, we're on all the socials you're on. We're easy to get a hold of. So reach on out. Speaking of reaching out, running away and reaching out. Today we continue our journey uh, through Steven Spielberg's filmography. We've hit Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, I don't know why it's of the third kind. I, I never understood that. You do? Yes. Uh, it is a phase of um, your encounters with the UFO, UFO. Close encounter of the first kind is a sighting. Second kind is an evidence. And the third kind is contact. Wow. I never knew this. And I'm a pretty big conspiracy junkie. I'll tell you why. Only reason I know this is because I saw the movie poster when I was Googling yesterday. That is why. <laughs> <laughs> it says it on the movie poster <laughs> it's something i probably should have known by now but this is essentially a story of a man in our former uh college town our alma mater good old muncie uh, yeah muncie indiana shot to look like a suburban town in california because i assure you there are no winding bluffs or cliffs it in muncie looked luxurious but i did miss the yeah. fact that there was no cheeseburger in paradise in the background in the yeah. these shots <laughs> if you just really like drop some stank right like if you just ex- like popped a pennywise balloon of the jerry springer show all over this landscape it would have been truer to muncie <laughs> Because uh, we're so flat, those 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 UFOs would have nowhere to hide in Muncie. But that's where Alex and I went to college at Ball State, represent Muncie, Indiana. Uh, so this is a, an Indiana family, right? Mm-hmm. A guy just leading his life. A normal guy. He works for the electric company, played by Richard Dreyfus. He's just a normal everyman. Something happens that is beyond his comprehension. It, it explodes his, uh, his, his ability to exist in our normal world. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's this tale of... Of questioning our place in the universe it's this tale of what is worth pursuing what is worth doing which we learn is uh not much by the end of the film um it's a strange film it's it's kind of meandering it's very cynical at times but but when it is right it is fucking breathtaking yeah the the filmmaking of this um was a big step up for spielberg at the time i think and it, it is really a spectacle movie 
So, Alex, opening thoughts on uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um, You know, it's a movie about wonder. Like, I think that's, like, really always the thing that I get from it. And I don't – and I have only watched – This is a great uh, – they call it the – what is it? The staring in awe Spielberg shot? Yeah. The looking off camera slack jawed at something? That's exactly <laughs> what this is. And, I mean, that's what the movie is. And I've only watched Close Encounters a handful of times. Like, this is not one that I'm like, oh, i got to watch Close Encounters again. Like, that is not generally my M.O. when I think of Spielboigs. Um, yeah. But it is, it's you know, I mean, it's, it's undeniable that it's a really fascinatingly awe-inspiring movie because it is just this huge concept. I think this is what's interesting about early Spielberg movies is, like, it deals with these bigger things in small places that just blow you away. Like there is this like majesty to it. That's so fascinating because it is just to me, it's not difficult to comprehend that we're not alone in the universe. It's weird when people think we are, I think that's the most absurd thing I've ever heard in my life is that we're the only thing in this whole fucking universe that's able to like have sentient life on it, on, on its planet. That's ridiculous. But right. There is something, the phrase is not otherworldly, but there is something, the only way you can, I can explain it is there is something vast and wonderful when you watch a movie like this because you also are slack-jawed for some reason. You know, like, it's it's a movie. Like, it's, it's a movie. But there is something that's just like, <gasps> like, it does take yeah. your breath away in a lot of respects. Well, it, it does this really cool thing, right, where... It makes our world otherworldly in a way that's very relatable, right? Which is yeah. the the kind of lies and the the system that we've all developed, right? So that we can I was I was reading this this book. Uh you know, sometimes I get miserable and I like to read philosophy books and make myself feel dumber. Yikes. And I was reading this this nihilism book, right? And they talked about how we've completely just boxed ourselves into this system where we have these these jobs and titles to earn this this fake currency so that we can buy stupid shit that we don't need so we can have our friends and family and neighbors come over and see our stupid shit we don't need and realize how great we're doing yeah. when really we all just feel hopelessly empty inside and i was like not wrong yeah that, that pretty much sums <laughs> it up right like we all just like why do we trade our our one valuable resource is our time yeah. Why do we just trade our time to buy stupid shit that we don't need for all these fucking dumb reasons, right? So I can pay $80 for Hulu and still have to watch commercials. Right. Like, why do we do this to ourselves? But that's the world we've, we've lived in, right? We, we get married. We build families, right? We buy homes and cars and shit. Like, that's the world we're in. And the idea of that world ever ending is almost impossible for us to fathom, even as we read recreationally apocalyptic fiction or the Bible or whatever the fuck, right? So it's impossible for us to imagine <laughs> a fucking world where this isn't it. Yeah. And so watching this fucking normal guy, he gets woken up in the middle of the night to come to his fucking stupid job at the electric company. And there's a there's a book in that I love in this movie, which is him in the background listening to these guys fighting about the power grid. Right. Yeah. Between that moment in the end when he is smiling and getting his his hand taken and walked into that spaceship. He went from a guy who is a background character who doesn't matter in his own story to now he is the first person who's going to go on this ship that has absolutely crushed every law of reality we have. We see these pilots come back from the 40s. 
which is a weird addition to the story. So, like, we know that time is is not a uh, concept that we can believe anymore. God is dead. Yeah. So this man goes from us to this person that just for he's the one guy who's able to break out of this fucking Dilbert life cycle that we all live in. Yeah. I know Dilbert is no longer accepted literature, but that's what came to my mind. It's fine. Makes total sense to me. If you think of Dilbert as a long arc of a normal man who becomes a fucking fascist, it's interesting reading. It's quite literally nothing that I could think of that is more appropriate than Dilbert becoming a fascist at some point. It does make me think back to when I was an obsessive Dilbert fan when I was like fourth or fifth grade, mm-hmm. which is weird because I, I didn't have a cubicle job, but I, I thought I related to my school desk. I used to have Dilbert ties I would wear to school. Like, I was really into Dilbert, like a wow. massive collector. I watched the cartoon. Yeah, I, was, I watched the cartoon. And then it's like I 20 really years later, cartoon. I was like, oh, I, I forgot about Dilbert. Then someone's like, yeah, the guy who wrote it's a huge fascist and racist, and he's saying wild shit online. I was like, well, that's disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> that is uh, disappointing. Well, you kill your heroes. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, I put Dogbert away a long time, so I'll be all right. But I liked it. I miss it. But that is that is the world. Imagine Dilbert's cubicle exploding. And he's got a front stage pass to fucking see that everything we we do is bullshit. It's and so there is this this very relatable parable, and yeah. it's attacking the Spielberg suburbanite life that he kind of evangelizes in his other movies. Mm-hmm. So I think Close Encounters sits in that really interesting pocket for him. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, yeah, the everyman aspect is really important is really specific and also i mean it's good it's not like it's a bad thing like that's what i think this is something that spielberg does best and it's weird because it's a strange thing especially watching this movie too because i i started getting the sense and i started thinking about like the other movies that will not just watch this month but just spielberg in general and the like obsession with the everyman that he has is such a strange almost like anthropological uh, examination in a lot of movies it's it's this weird thing he does and you're just sort of watching it and i think bird's eye view thinking about it now and watching like these movies i'm like i think spielberg thinks of himself that way but he's not like he never was like it is this really strange thing he's like, he was what? the world's greatest filmmaker at 12 as we saw in the fablemans yeah, well, I mean, exactly. He was never a well. I think. See, this is the other thing too, and this is, this is fascinating. I just have to say again. I have to reiterate. If you watch his documentary on HBO, it's great. But, but it you is, watch that in the Fablemans, that is fucking propaganda. Dude. I was about to say, like, this is <laughs> that is pro- he, he is, is really cleaning out thing. the like dirty deeds. <laughs> I think this is the stranger thing about like doing this month because look, I there's not a single person in the history of movies possibly life of the 21st century at this point who can sit here and say that they weren't moved in some way by steven spielberg but yeah. like it is weird having now the fablemans lit existing it is hard to like extrapolate out what steven spielberg views as his life versus what we all know is actually things that have happened <laughs> because oh like, yeah like he, he's taken the ship hard into like he he's now playing a version of a Tom Hanks character <laughs> that he wrote. I was gonna say like he is like he's his own version of the Everyman. I'm like I don't think you know. Who but the you everyman you can't is. be a guy like Steven Spielberg and just be that guy for this long. Yeah, and not eventually become full of shit. 
Like, if me or you tomorrow became, like, world-changing filmmakers, right? The likes of Jaws and, and, you know, fucking Jurassic Park and Close Encounters and E.T. 30 years from now, we would be fucking absurd cartoonish versions of human beings as well. Right. Well, it's like that quote from, uh, it's like, there's a, there's a quote from David Foster Wallace, and there's a, it's actually the title of the article of the movie The End of the Tour is based on called, Of Course You End Up Becoming Yourself. Like, it's one of those yeah. things I'm like, this makes sense. Like, watching this movie and thinking about the Fablemans and all the other movies we're doing this month, I was like, this all makes sense now. Like, that quote yes. is about Steven Spielberg to me now because he just, this is the version of history he wants. Like, when you are that prolific, and not to say that you should, but when you're that prolific, that's when you can start sort of rewriting history. In your own, like your own history, he can't not drink his own Kool Aid. Yeah, of course, but like that's what's so interesting few about hit that air, that that rare right. air that. He's but to in. say to bring it back to this, like that's what's interesting about the Roy Neary character is that he's someone who things are happening to, and it's mm-hmm. not until the end of the movie when he starts actually like kind of trying to take agency over these things that are happening that that's when like oh well. Your like quote your dream sort of your dreams have come true. Um, like if you hated your family and just want to go to a spaceship, then congratulations. Like you've done. I don't even know if it's it's that though. It's, right. Like, that is something that really scene, struck me this time. It's very weird. That that ending we have to talk about because I think it's an all time, maybe a relatable humanistic choice, but it's it's such an odd ending. But I think the scene of this movie that I really take away this time right is we see the scene that it's kind of the inversion of the, the famous Jaws scene, right? Where the dad's sitting there hammering scotch and he's distraught. Cause he's seen this like man eating beast. Yeah. And his son's trying to like, you know, drink his milk like him. He's, he's mimicking his dad. Right. And there is this bond between father and son. Right. And he does an even better dinner table scene in this movie, I think, which is he's sitting there kind of mashing his potatoes, right. To look like this devil's tower that he has no idea what it is. He's just getting this transmission from a higher power that this is what's happening, right? This movie is so insanely biblical in its telling. And so he he he's he's going through and he's making this tower, right? And his family's watching him. And they're like, this guy's a fucking lunatic. And that moment when Dreyfus looks up, I think this is so relatable as a dad myself, is he looks up and he's got tears in his eyes and he's like, I guess you can see that something's wrong with dad. And it's one of those moments that I think a lot of us have that ingrained in our minds. The first time you realize your dad is not Superman. Yeah. And then he's just a fucked up bigger person. Mm-hmm. And, and when he starts kind of crying and then the, the son is in the, the background, right? Also crying. And he's just like, I don't know what's happening. I know it's important. I know it's important. And him following that line of logic as he's ignoring the pain on his family's face because he cannot stop himself from being consumed. I think I think that that messiness is beautiful in this film. I think you could argue that this movie really fucking meanders in that messiness. Like it really fucking wallows in it in a way that is not narratively helpful at times. I mean, yeah, I would say that that's. I would say, to be honest with you, from the the initial moment, like from the train track scene, like the train track scene is to me like 
That's the. Oh, deep. I mean, that's that's fucking a plus filmmaking. It's an ama- yeah, it's an amazing. He waves the truck behind, and then the ship's there, and the lights like from that moment on. That next like fifteen minutes rips. Yeah, that fifteen minutes like that little block is unbelievable filmmaking. Like that is like there's the, the mom who keeps letting her kid run into the street like five times because she wants him to get run. This, ugh, there's yeah. a lot of parents who want to be out of it. In this well, movie. I think that's an interesting thing too. Is like <laughs> to me like watching it feels like spielberg trying to be roy neary in a lot of ways but also it's that reflection that we kept it is weird it is hard to watch spielberg movies i think this is going to make this month very interesting it's very hard to watch spielberg movies now not just with that documentary out but also now that he's done the fablements it is hard to watch things and not see like huh that's an interesting take there steve I uh, well, not sure I didn't we... realize because I'm also a child of divorce, right? Right. I didn't realize how traumatizing the divorce was for him. Yeah. I think a lot of us kids of divorce, you look back and you're like, that's kind of like my origin story moment. Right. Right. I think that's fine. But I was like, he really fucking internalized that hard. Yeah. <laughs> like really, really it's... hard. It's pretty intense. And it is a really yeah. fascinating. It's a fascinating like psychological step because pretty much every movie up through like well, every movie like all his movies have some sort of ref- like there is some sort of refraction of that like earth shattering moment in his life in every single movie we've seen it's not a bad thing either by the way i mean it's right bad. you you pair these like personal apocalyptic moments with some kind of big sci-fi genre blanket yeah and it, it was a formula for magic man i mean it, it really was but there's moments in that segment, right? Like him getting lifted up in the truck. Awesome. Fucking awesome. So cool. We relate to it. The lights, it's beautiful. But that moment when he's sitting there in the calm and he sees the lights and he's like, I got to fucking chase this thing. Bad. That's the moment in the film that this guy is dying, right? Like that character is dead. He'll never get to go back to his normal life. You cannot have that happen and then like, all right, it's Wednesday. I got to go clock in. Like, that cannot exist anymore. Yeah. And so I think this segment of filmmaking, right, is you mix that that relatable moment where you're like, I cannot do this bullshit job anymore. I can't live like this anymore. With this, the, the awe and wonder of the spaceships coming around the bend, right? The the flying and the him looking off, you know, as he's looking at this imaginary cliff in Muncie, Indiana. The cop flies down and he stands on that cliff and he looks out at the whole world, which is now moot to him. Yeah. Beautiful filmmaking. Yeah. By the time we get to he's digging up his yard and throwing plants in the house to just make a big sculpture when he's already made the like Play-Doh sculpture. The mashed potatoes. So He did it with mashed potatoes, mashed right? Potatoes. And then he made it with the little Play-Doh and he's like, I'm over it. I'm better. He rips the top off and he's like, that's it. Then him fucking throwing all the dirt and plants in to make like a 10 foot tall version in his living room. Yeah. In his robe while the neighbors watch. I know it's it's kind of an iconic scene now. That's fucking stupid. It's that that's that's a fucking stupid scene in this movie. I think like in I don't know I don't know. I love him jumping on the front of the car in his robe to try to stop them. Sure. Because it finally dawns on him that yeah. how far this has gone on them. No one is fucking I mean, it's it's an absurd he's stealing the neighbor lady's duck fence. <laughs> Like, it's kind of this classic Spielberg, like, fun campiness. But see, it's ludicrous. I, but I, it's ludicrous. Well, and I think that's what's interesting is, like, I don't find it to be very fun. 
that this guy is like eschewing any sort of responsibility to his children. Like his kids watching him sculpt the mashed potatoes and just like like that it like that scene is that dinner scene is unbelievable. Flawless. Like yes. that is masterful filming because like I felt like and I've had bad days, you know, I have good days, I have bad days like everybody else. I was like, holy shit. If I like remove the mask of dad, that's exactly what like, you could do to your kid one day when you're eating dinner with them or when you're sitting there with them is you scare the shit out of them to the point where they start yeah. weeping. And I'm like, oh, my God, like this guy doesn't give a shit. Like it is hard. That is the hardest part yes. about this movie is to grasp. That's why the it's fact. powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Like I can't grasp. And I'm not saying that I'm like father of the year or anything. But I cannot grasp the fact of like not paying attention to the people that you love around you and what you're doing to them by being well kind of yes. out of your gourd, man. So the moment when he's crying and the kid sees him crying and he's like, Cry baby, cry baby. Apparently that Spielberg did that to his actual father, they talk about in the doc. Cause his dad kind of took the bullet and he's like, I'm leaving your mom, so she didn't like look like a bad person for fucking his friend. It's very weird. Like, that whole Fableman's Era thing is weird. Yeah. But he talks about it in the doc that his dad was crying, right? Because the love of his life is, like, now fucking his best friend. And Spielberg just berating his father, calling him a cry. So that, that thing that the kid does to Dreyfus, he did to his own father. And you're like, those scenes, right? Or him laying on the bed trying to, like, what do I do now? Those scenes are fantastic. Yeah. When you make it as stupid as I have to put shovel dirt into my house mm -hmm. and steal the duck fence, now you're putting a comical mask on this to where it's okay for yeah. us it's no to say longer, fuck his family. Well, it's no longer whimsical at that point. Now you're just like, like the whimsy. But is that's what I mean. They're trying to add whimsy into this fucking. Well, I think it's the, the wrong. The, the fucking final death, death right. note of the it family. It feels like the wrong flavor of whimsy. Like mashed potatoes and Play-Doh are one thing, but when you like destroy your house, that's another thing. And it doesn't, it doesn't even make sense. He already has a fucking model. Right. He's a guy. He's a fucking train hobbyist. So we know that his life is sad and miserable already. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Bobby Buckala. Like, Bobby Buckala liked his trains too. That's oh. What I mean. Yeah. How to go for that motherfucker. How to oh, go for that hey, motherfucker. Oh, hey. Blew hey, up. Died amongst his trains, motherfucker. But no, that's <laughs> what I mean. It's just, it's so fucking stupid of a moment in this amazing movie. Yeah. Because, like, this, the first spaceships in the family drama is so fucking tight and good. I got to tell I just, you. Once we get to that fucking, like, the living room scene, I'm like, this does not work for me. Yeah. It's kind of the one big miss of the movie for me. Almost everything else I love. Like, everything with the aliens in this movie is top fucking notch. This The, the home invasion, which essentially Shyamalan's like, I'm just going to do a whole movie of that. Yeah. Where the fucking the, the clouds roll in, yeah, yeah, and they're coming for that little boy. That scene is fucking. I mean, that's horror movie magic. That's yeah. metal as fuck. And her running as the you know fucking pillar of clouds pulls back, and she's like, "No, my son." I mean that that scene is fucking wonderful. Yeah, everything with the aliens is wonderful. I love the fucking disintegration of the family. Maybe don't try to make it a fucking Hal Ashby for five minutes. You know what I mean? Well, it's like not a good Hal Ashby. Like Hal Ashby. That's what I mean. Like I think that's the thing is like it should matter to us, the audience, that this guy's running his family out of town and he'll never see them again. Yeah. Or if he does, he won't be that guy to them ever again. You just I think that that's something we should not play for yucks. I agree. 
I agree. Maybe I'm a scarred child of divorce like Steven, so I just feel that way. But. No, but I, I think that it just requires it, – it's not – it's a it's a bridge too far. That's how I'd say. That's what I'd say. It's just one too. It's one too many things that make him so unsympathetic until the end. You know, like I that. think it's one of those. He he always tried so much to make it these personal tales with these bigger kind of movies, right? Like he was kind of always a fun first director, mm-hmm. and it's like this is a dark water for him in that early phase of his career, You're right? Like in E.T., the father's gone too, but it's kind of played as like, a, oh, bummer, but now we have an alien, so that's cool. You know, this one like really stews on it. Um, but this movie's dark all around, right? Like when we see the government... So like we just learn in this movie the government's just going to slaughter a shitload of animals for like their clever ruse. Yeah. Like it gets pretty dark as, the, as we go on, right? When he hugs that other blonde lady who lost her kid, you're like, oh, he's definitely having an affair and leaving his family anyways. This could all be a fever dream excuse for why he's going to destroy his family anyways. Right, like I mean, this is this is fucking muddy waters at best. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a weird like, and then there's I mean, there's a whole other. What's interesting is you spend so much time with Roy Neary and uh, is it Melinda Dillon's the mom? Like you spell mm-hmm. you spend so much time with these people to care about these people. There's like a whole other part of the movie. With like, like an the, hour of the movie where it's just like fuck them kids. With like, well, no, there's like. A, besides that though, there's like a whole other plot in the movie of yeah, like the government, like it's uh, Bob Balaban and Francois Truffaut, who I completely forgot was in this movie. Like I did too. When I turned it on, I was like, French guy, why does that guy? Jesus Christ, is that Francois? Is that Francois Truffaut? Jesus, like yeah. I was absolutely Rock solid performance. Yeah, yeah, no, it was great. I could not. I could not have, like, if you had said Francois Truffaut's in this movie before I watched it, I would have been like, fuck you. There's no way. Like, I don't know what you Well, it has this about. weird, like, 10-minute cold open where they're in the desert. Yeah. It's like, th- this movie really is reaching for a lot of shit. Well, what's right? interesting It's reaching is, like, really high. What this is a movie of is it's our fucking world as personified by one family being destroyed. We are watching the fabric of all of the American dream be fucking ripped to shreds. Right. In a world where this ship comes down and that happens and there's aliens and they kidnap people who haven't aged for 60 years, whatever. We cannot have State Farm commercials anymore. Like the world has changed at a genetic level. I think what's hard about it's overreaching. I think what's weird about this movie is that for me, Spielberg is like the master of like, let me show you 10 minutes. Let me show you 10 minutes at the top of this movie. That's going to make you sit for the next two and a half hours. I'm like, OK, cool. And he's undoubtedly good at that. What's weird about this movie is the first 10 minutes of this movie are not like I'm engaged. I forgot Absolutely. they were in there. Yeah. These, like I was watching. And I was like, well, did I turn on the wrong movie? I, the, these, I just pop it. These first 10 minutes. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm really engaged. And then it shifts to Muncie and you're like. Which did, is way better. No, no. If at the 10 minute mark. Infinitely better. At the five to ten minute mark, if we get Dreyfus in his truck, no one is fucking leaving that movie. So like, not a fucking chance. The top with Bob (laughs) Balaban and Francois Truffaut in the desert. You're sitting there and you're like, "All right, cool. This looks really interesting." And then it shifts and you're like, "When? What was that other part? This is the movie, right?" You're like, "That's cool, but like, why are we like?" And it doesn't come back around until later enough where you're like, "Was that just?" 
a gag to get us into the theater? Like, what is the fir- what is yeah. the top of the movie? And then it starts coming around. But you're just I yeah, that was a weird strange. addition. Um, I don't know because that's what I mean. I I think this movie it's trying two things, right? So it's this big kind of the day the Earth stood still movie, right? Sure. Where sure. we find these old planes, right? Oh, aliens must have took them. Yeah. I love the scene when they're in India, right? And that all the people Very are cool. harmonizing. It's like, yeah. where did you find it? And all the fucking hands shoot to the heavens. And you're like, holy shit, right? But now we know that the whole world is going to know about this and not just Americans, right? It's it's this kind of world-shattering event. And so jumping betwixt those and just having this one man kind of be our microcosm of the bigger problem, it works, but I think the the really focusing and hard, like the best part of that story, besides all the cool alien stuff, mm-hmm. the spaceships are beautiful, right? All that's great. Him in that house disintegrating before he became, you know, a fucking Marvin the Martian cartoon is awesome. <laughs> right. Like that part of the movie is what I think really is what bonds us to the film. Yeah. And then we kind of get these extra, it's almost like there's a whole other movie of like, Oh, all right. Like, that's cool. Right. Well, there's, like, the A-plot of Roy Neary, who is, like, the guiding light for this movie to get yeah. us to watch it. And so we can and all And, like, feel- a third of Starman. Yeah, so we can all feel something. Ex- nail on the fucking head. <laughs> yeah. There's this. And then, yeah, like, there's the Starman B-plot that doesn't... That works, but it's more just, like... Uh, well, you know, of course the government's involved. Like, there's this. <laughs> well, the government murdering cattle and, like, they're causing riots in that town. Like, human beings are going to die trying to escape this town, right? Yeah. So, we it's, it's a good backdrop, right? By the time we get to that, he's going to run up the mountain and, like, dodge smoke and all that. Like, the government's going to dust him. Yeah. All right, we're kind of spinning our wheels until we get to one of the greatest set pieces in movie history. I mean, it's top. That that finale on the top mountain, five. I mean. Top five. As far as just like a, a movie set piece, that's fucking hard to that, best. That, that ship is one of those things like when I was a kid, I saw that. I saw this on like AMC when I was oh, way sure. younger and it blew my fucking mind. I didn't well, know what movie It scared me when watching. I saw it as a kid. The, well, that's because the... I saw the scene where they were like coming for the kid, and you're like, "Fuck!" So when the big ship comes, you're like, "Holy fucking!" <laughs> right. Like the ship didn't scare the alien. Scared me. We can get to that, but like the ship yeah. was unbelievable. It is just one of those things. Like I still, there are things that we talk about this with Jurassic Park sometimes, but like there are things in Spielberg movies, these technical achievements that still hold up. That are not yeah. like at all one of those. He things was often like, at the cutting edge of this kind like, of stuff. It's twenty twenty three, and I'm still just like Jesus Christ, dude! Like that is fucking visceral. It's incredible how good it looks. Oh, I mean, and then the matching. It's like uh, that old Simon Said game we had as a kid, where it's like the lights and beep, the sound. Beep, beep, beep. Yeah. But it's so like that that little sound, right? Those harmonics to get. I mean, it's so iconic in my mind. And I love, I love their interplay. And I love when it retorts with, like, this voice of God, like, Bawr! and yeah. it's fucking blowing the windows out. And some people are scared, but mostly they're they're locked in on this thing. It's just thing wonder. It's a, it's a complete rebirth. It's like being there at the Big Bang. I like that the ship and, and, and does the, the Jaws the fucking, thing, too. <laughs> I, I like that, too. <laughs> John Williams is like, well, I'm running out of time. I'm going to recycle a riff. No one will notice. Uh, <laughs> no one will notice this riff I totally won an I, Oscar for last year for. Yeah, the... the 
give and take of like how long he drags that scene out is incredible. Yeah. There's even the scene when the mom's like, I'm not going to go with Richard Dreyfus. My kid's not here. And it's like, she fucking did kill her kid. She fucking <laughs> Casey Anthony knew her kid. And so she knows he's not going to be up here. And then she goes down. And of course, her kid's there and it's great. Yeah. The little kid goes bye bye to the aliens. And it's fucking amazing. Oh, man. Ooh. I'll tell you the scene at the end there. Like, it's so fucking beautiful across the board. That whole finale. That little cutaway. So we had this big fucking vista on Devil's Tower. These big fucking ships. This. This enormous, like, look at the universe made small, right? When they cut into that tiny featureless chapel mm. and all of the p astronauts were sending on the spaceship or in this tiny white chapel in their dumb uniforms. Yeah. And he's like, go with God. God will protect. And you're watching, like, there's no fucking, like, that's such a great addition. Yeah. The idea that we're going to sit there and do this, pray that it'll be all right with that fucking thing outside of this tiny white featureless room. <laughs> Right? It's our old fucking stupid world versus every infinite possibility. Yeah. I thought that scene was awesome. Like, what a great idea to yeah. add that in the this, middle of your huge set piece. It's like that and the overall... The, I mean, again, the overall ending to this movie is just technically and like... I mean, um, to me, it's like if, if... if I don't know that I re-watch Close Encounters a lot. I don't. I would sit down and watch this that, vinyl at Devil's Tower every day of the week. Probably that last 30 minutes I'd watch. I'd rewatch it all the time. Because like it is oh, just I, it, like it's a pure fucking symphony of the love of cinema. It's, it's amazing. amazing. Everything Absolutely. from like technical achievement to the emotions that it's grappling with. What's weird is thinking about it now, and what we were talking about at the very beginning of the pod, which was like Richard Dreyfus should be like, well, my kids, my kids, and my wife left me. I'm gonna bounce. I'm gonna bounce. Like no interest. It's a very they, they, strange they thing. They set up a Doctor Who kind of paradox, right? Because there's this thing that the new Doctor Who gets at a lot, right? Which mm -hmm. is this, this, these people meet the Doctor. They go on these adventures with them. The moment you step in the TARDIS, your world is over, essentially. Right. Right? Because once you see the TARDIS and the Doctor and you know everything that's out there, how can you go back and be a shop worker again? Right? Like, how can you go back and work at British Coles? Right. Right? Like, it's... It's impossible. And the doctor comes and then he goes and continues on. He's infinite like the universe. And we're sitting here realizing how small and empty it is. And like, we cannot replace that in our hearts. And so they've done these great episodes of these older companions who are struggling mightily with it. Right. Yeah. And I think this movie is doing that, but in a, a different way. Right. Which is he, how can he go back? But what it is asking us as an audience and as parents I know there's a whole other universe out there, mm -hmm. right? I think a lot of us, and not to sound cliche or like a fucking Hallmark card, but the idea that you're asking me to weigh the infinite amount of joy and possibilities I see in the eyes of my young children. Like there are times when my five-year-old gets up in the morning and he crawls and he lays on me. And he, I open up and the first thing I see is just the brightest twinkling eyes this smile that is pure joy. They don't know the like, fuck, I got to work. It's Wednesday, right? Yeah. Two more days. They don't have hump day sadness yet, right? They're just like, they wake up and they're like, this could be the greatest day that's ever lived almost every day. And I see the infinite joy and happiness on his face. And it makes me, it makes life worth living, right? And you're asking me to say, not like, hey, can we swing by and pick my parents or my, my wife and kids up there at her sister's house because I've been a bit of a dick, you know? <laughs> Can you translate that to the aliens, right? Yeah. He just, he, you're asking me to say that whatever's on that ship is so important that it outweighs 
looking into the eyes of your children. And that that's a hard pill for me to swallow. And he doesn't have teenagers who are in that. Maybe I hate this kid phase. No, but it's he still, has little it's kids. A, it's hard. It's hard to think about it. It's hard to even like. I get people leaving their wives. Not to talk shit on our wives. We both love our wives. <laughs> but you're like, I've known my wife for like we've been together essentially like 15 years. We got like yeah. I, I get it. Right. We can do 15 more years of that, or I can go with Doctor Who. I'm on it. Right. But the kids, the kids is like a really hard. I'm sorry, Amy. She listens. I apologize. I wouldn't leave you either. Maybe. <laughs> Not for another woman. For the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Not I... this stupid ass shit, but I would go with the doctor. It's fair. It's... But that, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Imagine just saying bye to Hank because you want to go get fucking probed. Yeah. There's no guarantees with this fucking thing. It is, it's just, it's a hard pill to swallow. So when you watch the movie and you think about everything that's happened in the last two and a half hours, you're like, wow, dick move. Like, yeah, kind of like uncool, an utter, man. An utterly, like, irredeemable piece of shit care. And I, and I understand, I know everyone's out there, like, we all know this. This was Steven Spielberg therapy via film. Which is, I so have to chase the wonders of that ship mm-hmm. that these these piddly people, my wife and all these people in my life, have to understand yeah. that they have to fucking suck my stardust, dude. I got to right. go fly. So, like, I understand that. But if you take the Spielberg explaining away his fucking character flaws because he has to give us magic. Right. If you just look at Roy Neary, I think, again, it goes back to that first moment when he's in his fucking stupid factory job in the hard hat. Mm-hmm. This is a moment where he becomes, in his mind, the most important man in the world. Yeah, I think, and I think that outweighs the fucking family. Agreed. I think that it, like, from a from a like watching perspective, like from a like from an audience perspective, it's a harder. Like, I get what's happening. Like, thematically, what you do is you isolate this guy and you make him unpalatable. You know, you so nobody like from there's a certain point of view you can look at and say, oh, well, nobody understands me, not even my family. Maybe if I go to another world with these other people, these other beings, they yeah. will understand me and make if me I just feel go to like, a place without the language I speak, without the food I eat. This will this will be <laughs> but like that's be in an intergalactic like, zoo where everyone to me from a me. writing perspective. That's a sort that's sort of what they're trying to accomplish is like, oh, if you explain away everything else in Roy Neary's life, the only thing he has left is to go on that ship. And I'm like, that is mildly flawed logic, but I understand it. I think there's you could make an argument that a vast percentage of people would choose the experience of getting answers beyond what we're fed and would sacrifice their family and their personal lives. Right. I think we could have done more to show that this was possibly already on the horizon. Right. That maybe this family was already on their way out. Right. Or maybe you don't do that because it fucking takes away the power of that dinner scene in, in that and that. Um, I think I don't know that the mood and this is the other thing for a movie that wants to do the the first contact will be optimistic right like a meeting of fucking scholars it's kind of weird that the destruction is still there just personalized right so it is I don't know I mean I don't think you want to take away whatever they're doing 
it, yeah. it, it's, it's just it's it's an ending I've never enjoyed. I've it's, never liked it, and I don't think the character needs to be likable. But at one point, he sees the ship, and Truffaut just goes, "What do you want, Mister Neary, Monsieur Neary, or whatever?" And he's like, "I, I just, Neary. yeah, I just want to know that this is real." All right, you fucking know now. Yeah, you fucking know now. You go can home. go back and say I'm not an insane person. I'm sorry. I've had an experience. Let me make it up to you guys. Like, Instead, there's... I want to go and leave my family in what is about to be the post-apocalyptic Muncie, Indiana, <laughs> because we know that alien warships are upon us. Yeah. I lived in Muncie. There's no way they're taking that lying down. No way. That <laughs> All through sudden, there with the, 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 every the restaurant The Capitol building existence. is burnt down, and we fucking stake a new government in the Walmart, and it's fucking over. <laughs> It's like when Negan showed up on Walking Dead. That's what Muncie would have been like. Like, it would have been over the very next day. And he's just like, my wife and kids will figure it out. Fuck them. It's a hard pill to swallow. It is. And I don't know that the movie earns the, I really want to go travel with those guys. I'm not sure. Just because they hold my hand and I smile like a fucking rube. That's okay. Yeah. I'm not sure it earns it, but it is this. It is still beautiful. Within its within the confines of the moment, it is this beautiful, wondrous moment. And it, it is, is like, and maybe before we were dads, we would have got on that shit. Yeah, but maybe like, we still I would, s- and we're just full of shit. But I sit there still watching it, slack jawed, like the other idiots. Yes, yeah, like because it is, it's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful moment. It's a beautiful moment in a beautiful movie. It is. I've always just had issues with Roy, though. Like, I just, yeah, I do not too. enjoy him as a character. Maybe that's the fucking point. I don't know. It's hard. I, I, I think this movie is an odd mix of. It's kind I of this really, because... like, fucking wallowing in the mud family drama that doesn't feel like it's given the, like, seriousness it needs. But then you just get three or four of, like, the fucking best alien science fiction scenes you've ever seen. Yeah. And it's it's all worth it. It's it's so fucking iconic. It, it's it's a stunning piece of work. Like it really is like a fucking incredible. A lot of people throw this around, right? Like movie experiences, right? This is like truly a cinematic experience. Yes, one absolutely. of his finest he's ever fucking put to film. I think it's incredible. It's. It's an incredible movie that, unlike a lot of his, I feel like I have to wrestle with this more than most yeah, of his work. I have to really think about this one a lot. Until he got to his, like, I'm going to win an Oscar phase. Yeah. But his early career, there wasn't very much grappling, right? This is like a really fucking, you know, Some Panama City Beach mud wrestling tournament of a movie. <laughs> which I would win. Which yeah, I would that's win. That's less heady than I was thinking, but yes, it's... Well, I mean... It's a th- come on, I know he put a French guy in it. This is not fucking deep philosophies. <laughs> this is just a do you think they have sex on that ship i'm not getting enough at home i'm gonna leave i'm tired of working for minimum wage and being on call Fair i enough. honestly i take back my thing i think 90 plus percent of people would get on that ship sir and that's the thing the movie has played there's so much biblical imagery i think it, it, it it's giving these aliens this religious experience of seeing them yeah that I think somehow we're all ingrained, even those of us that know religion is just the dumbest fucking thing that we've ever invented as a species. I think there's a superstition built in at a genetic level that we might still, we might still go on that fucking ship, dude. We might still do it. 
I mean, there's always a question. We've at least all had that day at work where you're like, you know what? I'd probably get on that ship today. Yeah. My wife will find a better, more handsome guy in the apocalypse, right? My son will be raised by a real man. <laughs> We've all at least had that day. I don't disagree with that. I'm pretty sure I had that day yesterday. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I hope you enjoyed this podcast of the first kind. Uh, guys, if you would be so kind, go to patreon.com slash filmalchemistpod uh, to support the show. The listeners this month are getting to vote on, selected by our, our friend and patron, Mason, had a great idea, that the Patreon exclusive this month uh, that they get to vote on are movies produced by Steven Spielberg. Um, so beyond just what he directed, he's had this fucking enormous impact on Hollywood yeah, movies. So, DreamWorks. Yeah, they're getting to vote now. We picked four Steven Spielberg-produced movies, and they're getting to vote. If you want to know what they are, go to patreon.com slash filmalchemistpod uh, so you can enjoy those episodes over there. Help us support the show. Help us grow the show. We appreciate it. The YouTube Film Alchemist, the email filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. We're easy to get a hold of. We're on the socials. We'd love to hear from you guys. If you have an idea for a curation, uh, movies you want to hear us talk about, just let us know, man. We, we love to hear from you guys. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your support. We hope you enjoyed this pod on Close Encounters. We'll see you next week for E.T., the extraterrestrial. Bye!